We've got a little uh, different order of service today because today we have a baptism and, uh, and some uh, people that will be joining the church, and so we're a little front-loaded, and, uh, and so at, 10, at 12 after 10, I'm getting up to give the message, but that's a good thing because we turn our attention to, uh, to God's Word. One of my favorite authors, A.W. Tozer, uh, has this as the first line in his book, Knowledge of the Holy. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that one more time. Take that in for a moment. And uh, even ponder what comes into your mind when you think about God. What comes into our minds... When we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Uh, We can easily have thoughts of uh, God's greatness and of his holiness, his mercy, his love. And those are all the attributes that I hope come flooding our consciousness when we think about God. But it is also easy for us to uh, to get false understandings of who God is. To think of God as, maybe not consciously, but even subconsciously, we think of God as distant or uncaring or dispassionate about what is going on or uh, almost like a Santa Claus or a, or a little puppy dog that's cute and fluffy, fluffy but has no transcendence or holiness. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It affects everything that we do, whether we realize it or not. It affects the way we live our lives. It affects what we give our time to. It affects uh, our relationships. It affects how we spend our money, the decisions that we make. What we think about, about God, and then even more broadly speaking, all kinds of things that we think about are important. Today's, foc- today's sermon focuses in on the importance of our thoughts what's in our minds. What you think about is important. Your thoughts about God, your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about others, your thoughts about the world around you. False and distorted views about God, about yourself, about others, and about the world have a major impact upon us spiritually and in every other way. And yet, and on the flip side, true, accurate thoughts about all of these things impact our lives positively to give us peace and freedom. God created each of us in his image with five parts to our, pers- our personhood. We have the physical, which is our body. We have the intellectual, which is our mind. We have the emotional, which is our heart. We have the spiritual, which is our soul. And we have the relational, which is our social, our our relationships with others. And if any one of these five parts is neglected or not brought under the obedience of Christ, then we are not living into all that God has created us to be. And so part of who God has created us to be, an important part of us, is our minds and what we think about. And the verse that we're going to focus in on this morning is perhaps the greatest verse in all of the Bible to give us guidance into what we ought to think about. So I encourage you to open up to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 8 and 9. So Philippians 4, and I'll give you a a moment to uh, 
find your way there either in your Bible or on your tablet or in the Pew Bible before you. But Philippians 4, we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9. We've been going through um, the book of Philippians together. And so much of the book that we've emphasized here is this is a book of joy. Uh, Over and over and again, Paul talks about rejoicing and having joy. And in a sense, this fits in along this theme because uh, joy and peace come into our minds when we are able to take our thoughts captive and conform them to the image of Christ. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in, in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And so there's the result. The God of peace will be with us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we have turned our attention now to your word, we pray that you would come and uh, be our teacher and impress uh, upon our minds and our hearts not only understanding into what your word says, but you, may you affect us, uh, our, our will, that we would want to do it. And give us the strength to live into the life that you have created us to live, which is the greatest life possible, a life that is is full of joy and peace. And so, God, just humbly we come before you as servants now and ask that you would have your way. We invite your presence into this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When my son Dawson was a little, like a toddler, he would. He said something all the time that cracked me up. And uh, you know how little kids, they're learning new stuff. Like kids every day, they do stuff and you're like, where did you figure that out? How'd you learn to do that? Or, or they'll say something and, and they'll say the darndest thing and, and you'll say, where in the world did you hear that? So when you ask Dawson, where'd you hear that? He would say, my brain told me. Or where'd you learn that? My brain taught me. And I always got a kick out of that. Only a three-year-old could get away with that. My brain told me. You see, we have all of these experiences around us. And uh, our brain doesn't teach us things uh, so much as we react to things. We react to uh, what is going on around us. And so when it comes to our thinking, it's not that we are learning to control our circumstances We're seeking to learn to control how we think about our circumstances, those things that are happening around us. And Paul says here in this passage, think on these things. In other words, put all of the experiences, the relationships that we have through a prism of the eight things that are mentioned here in this passage. Generally speaking, we can have three thought types. And I'm going to call these, we have downward thoughts, we have neutral thoughts, and we have upward thoughts. And this passage, Philippians 4.8, teaches us what the upward thoughts are. 
But we need to, but for us to be able to fully understand and to, and to grasp what Paul is saying here about upward thoughts, we also need to understand what we do with downward thoughts and what we do with neutral thoughts. Ultimately, what we're seeking here in obedience to Christ is to be able to eliminate downward thoughts, take captive neutral thoughts, and elevate upward thoughts. And this, in many ways, is what the growth in our Christian life will hinge upon. The, the ability that we have to eliminate downward thoughts, to take captive neutral thoughts, and to elevate upward thoughts in our minds. So we'll deal with these one at a time. First of all, downward thoughts. Downward thoughts are those thoughts, and this is my definition, which lack beauty and dignity. Downward thoughts ascribe to others and to the world a negativity that does not make the world a better place or lift others out of the gutter of life's hardships and sin's consequences. So even with that, uh, def with that definition, we already can intuitively know what kind of thoughts we're talking about when we speak of downward thoughts. These are the thoughts of negativity that, that are overly critical of others, thoughts of impurity, thoughts of anger or greed or jealousy, and all of these things uh, that lead to poor relationships, that lead to uh, bad attitudes, that lead to um, uh, bad work, uh, the way we speak to others, the way we react to situations. See, downward thoughts have in them a sense of a downward spiral because these thoughts that lack beauty and dignity take our lives further into the gutter. They damage our relationships. They bring depression and anxiety. They fill us with emotions that we would not want to have, emotions of anger and frustration and despondency and so forth. As computer programmers say, garbage in, garbage out. And when we let our minds dwell on the things of downward thoughts, we can expect negative things to come out of our mind, out of our lives. Downward thoughts and the downward spiral that accompanies them are described in Romans chapter 1 when it says that their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And we don't have time to go into this. I encourage you this week to read Romans 1, especially verses 18 and 32. It talks about the downward spiral that as, as they fix their, mind on, their minds on things that are not of God, it says that they exchange the glory of immortal God for the images of created things. And as they, got, as, as they did that, they continued to spiral down until they found themselves stuck in all kinds of sin that their, lives got, that, that their lives got tangled up with. You see, downward uh, thoughts are the origin of so much of what we struggle with in our own lives, especially areas of sin, because downward thoughts lead to bad attitudes, which lead to to uh, sinful actions and words, and ultimately to a lowly state of being and where we become an angry person or a vengeful person or an unforgiving person and those type of things. So the first thing we must do, and we'll come back to this in the application today, is we must eliminate downward thoughts. So we have downward thoughts, and now I want to talk about having thoughts that we might call neutral thoughts. 
Neutral thoughts are idle thoughts with no clear moral value. When you stand in line at Baskin-Robbins and debate bubblegum ice cream versus chocolate swirl, these are neutral thoughts, right? There's no right or wrong. There's no uh, moral value unless you really love chocolate or something. Like you, you debate, chocolate swirl's got the chocolate uh, chips, but bubblegum's like two for one. I get to chew it afterwards. Uh, and, you, and you have this debate, but there's really no right or wrong. There's no moral value here. Uh, and, and yet, even though these things are morally neutral, it does not mean that they're unimportant to our lives spiritually. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 10.5 says, Take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Now, the internet, I looked this up this week, the internet says you have, and the internet's never wrong, right? The internet says you have 6,000 thoughts a day. And my guess is, of those 6,000 thoughts, most of them are neutral thoughts. They're the type of things you're thinking about when you're doing your work or when you're zoning out watching TV or when you're driving in your car. And, uh, and when you're standing in line at Baskin-Robbins. Uh, but if we are to take every thought, uh, thought captive, it means that we are able to take those things and redeem them somehow or another in obedience to Christ. To bring them under the umbrella of Christ's reign and rule in our lives. Brother Lawrence, in his wonderful book called Practicing the Presence of God, said we should seek to establish ourselves in, the, in a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with God. It is a shameful thing to quit his conversation to think of trifles and fooleries. And that's how we would categorize most neutral thoughts, trifles and fooleries. But if we were to see them as an opportunity, all of these, op these moments uh, day by day throughout the day that we would categorize as uh, neutral thoughts, we would see them as opportunities to spend time with the Lord, then it transforms them uh, to be of value. In fact, it transforms ourselves, it transforms our own being to become more like Christ because even bubblegum or chocolate swirl can be used as an opportunity to spend time with God and to glorify Him for the little joys that He brings into our lives. And surely this is the idea behind 1 Thessalonians 5.17, which says, pray continually, right? Pray continually. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we're babbling all day, just constant talking to the Lord, it means that we are in God's presence, that we have an awareness of him with us. It means that we are practicing fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You see, neutral opportunities may not have a moral right or wrong, a moral value, but they do give us opportunity to grow in our relationship with God if they are opportunities to spend time with God. In fact, I have, uh, I have determined this in my own life that... Uh, that as I evaluate my life or as I talk with others, the greatest indicator, in my opinion, that we can have for judging a person's spiritual maturity 
is their awareness of God with them moment by moment, day by day? Are they living in fellowship with God throughout the day? Or are they unaware of his presence with them, unaware of, uh, of the fellowship that they, they can have with him? See, this is the power of neutral thoughts. There's downward thoughts, there's neutral thoughts, and now we're finally to, Philippian, uh, to Philippians 4.8, there are upward thoughts. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, these are the upward thoughts that we intentionally fix our minds on things of beauty and truth. And if downward thoughts uh, have a downward spiral that take us away from God, upward thoughts have the exact opposite effect in our lives. They lift us up personally. They lift us up to God. They lift up the relationships around us. And so Paul challenges us, and this is a challenge for each of us, to fix our minds on these type of things. Whatever is true. When we think about those things that are true, it is, the, it is obviously the opposite of those things that are false, right? And it is so easy for us to get uh, things stuck into our minds which are false. Things even that go back to when we were children. As individuals, we get stuck in our minds uh, that we are not loving, lovely, or not worthy, or that we are impure or wrong in one way or another. And to fix our minds on things that are true, it means that we now take the truth of God as revealed in his word and we fix uh, those truths into our own lives. And it means that we let God define what is right and wrong in the world around us. And it means that we uh, seek to understand who God is according to the words of the scriptures revealed to us. We fix our minds on the things that are true and we put aside the thoughts that are false. And that is a daily challenge. It takes intentionality to, uh, to identify the, the, the things that are false within our own hearts and minds and then to replace them with God's truth. And it, and it, and we, and it takes work to identify those things, and then to meditate on them, to fix our minds on them so that we are focused on what is true. Whatever is noble, Paul tells us to think about. Now, the, this word here that is noble is used elsewhere in the Bible for things that are holy, like the temple or the law or the Sabbath. Paul is saying, ponder the things that are holy in God's sight. Things like who God is and his son Jesus, God's word, the church, saints in the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that all of these things are noble because they're perfect. They're noble because God has made them noble. Did you know that you are noble? Why? Because you're a child of the King. King Jesus, if you have received God into your life, you are nobility. And so we fix our minds on those things. God would not let any harm come upon those that are the princes and the, and, the, and the princesses of his kingdom. 
And so we fix our mind on these thoughts and we fix our minds on the things that are holy so that we can receive them into our lives. Whatever is right. In other words, those things that are not wicked, those things that are not evil, but they are right and just in God's eyes according to his divine standard. We meditate on those things. Uh, seek to think about what is right and, and the, conversely, not what is evil. Whatever is pure, in other words, those things that are pure lack, have an absence of evil. Uh, and, and so we don't ponder that which is impure, which the mind is so, has such a tendency to do, to ponder those things that are pure. Whatever is lovely. Uh, I love to take uh, walks in nature just for the sake of noticing the beauty of creation. God has created it to, to notice, the, to ponder what is lovely. The fruit of the Spirit is lovely. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We can even ponder the love of a loved one to take time just to think on that and let that lift up our spirits. And including in this idea of thinking on the lovely is thinking on things that inspire love in us. So some things that inspire love in us are not necessarily lovely with a, a, by their appearance, especially those that are destitute or, or needy. But we ponder them through God's perspective, seeing them in the image of God, and all of a sudden our hearts are moved towards loving them. And that is part of what it means to think on the things that are lovely. Whatever is admirable, those things that you would like to compliment— those things that you find admirable, uh, fix your mind on those things. How much of our thought life is focused on those things that we would love to criticize, that appear negative to us, that we just fix our, we get so uh, fixated on, those, on criticisms that we would like to make. We even have internal conversations of what we would like to say to that person if they say this. Or criticisms that are said to us. Well, what if we did the opposite and we actually intentionally decided to fix our minds on the things that we would like to say that are, that are complimentary? We think about those things that are admirable, that we would love to uh, be able to express. And we ponder those things over and over again. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. And then these last two are like a catch-all. He kind of words it differently. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Excellence is a comprehensive category that of all of the things in your life that you consider to be wonderful or bring you joy. God says, ponder those things. Isn't that a wonderful invitation of God? God's saying, I love you so much. I just, want, just think about the things that are excellent. It says, think about the things that are praiseworthy. And surely the most praiseworthy being we can fix our minds upon is God himself, who is, as we sang this morning, he is worthy of praise. And so even as we gather as a family of God to worship, this is an application of this verse, to think on the things that are praiseworthy. Now each of these uh, is, uh, we have eight things here, right? And... Uh, if anyone could raise their hand and say all eight, I, will be, I would be very impressed. In fact, I tried to memorize this verse in order, and it was very difficult. I'd always forget one or two. And so I began to play with it, 
and this was many years ago, and it served me well through the years, uh, I developed an acronym without having to twist any words. They're all right there. The acronym is PLANTER, but the key is you got to spell it with two P's at the beginning. So it's P-P-L-A-N-T-E-R. Praiseworthy, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, and right. So now you got all eight in your mind. Planter, right? But the, but the thing is, it's planter. You got to get the two P's at the beginning. You got planter, and you got all eight things that God uh, commends you to fix your mind upon, to have upward thoughts. And it's a wonderful thing because not only is it an acronym, it's an analogy as well. Because when we plant good thoughts in our minds, upward thoughts, then we reap the benefits of that. As God's word says, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, in other words, we sow downward thoughts, from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows upward thoughts to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And that's Galatians 6, 7, and 8. And so we want to plant good thoughts, upward thoughts. We want to plant these thoughts that are praiseworthy, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, and right. And I'll keep going over them until they're ingrained in our minds. Because this is a wonderful thing to have ingrained in our minds. So often we will uh, be faced with getting all of these thoughts in our minds that we don't want there. And what do we do? We come back to the the, uh, acronym And we go through them one at a time until we are able to find something of value, something that is admirable, something that is lovely in the situation, in the person, in ourselves, in our relationship with God that we can fixate on. Because we have such a tendency to perseverate on those things that would lead us away from God and take us down in the gutter. What if we did the opposite? We eliminated the downward thoughts and we replaced them with planter thoughts. These things that God is challenging us to do. Now that is not easy to do, but uh, I want you to think about it this way. This is my, this is my baseball glove. And uh, I had to get this glove several years ago because Dawson started playing baseball and I didn't have a glove. So he and I went to Dick's, and he bought his glove, and I had to buy a glove for myself. Now, when I first bought this glove, it was, it was stiff and hard, like any baseball glove is, right? You buy a new glove, and, and you've got to break it in. So you're going to pound it, you beat it until it loosens up. And then uh, at night, we'd put a baseball in each of our gloves, and we'd wrap it with string to try to get it to take a shape that we wanted it to hold that we wanted to have, and you even get oil, certain types of oil, and you rub it in there to loosen it up. But the best way to break in a baseball glove is simply by playing catch. Over and over again, you catch it until the glove begins to react the way that you want it to react. And the same thing happens when we seek to conform our minds to the to uh, the things of God, the thoughts that God would have us to have. At first, it's not easy. The mind is stiff. It's been formed in a certain way. It does not want to think on the planter thoughts. 
The mind so naturally wants to think on downward thoughts. It so, it, uh, it so quickly and easily focuses in on things that are negative or critical. And, uh, and it takes some breaking in. In fact, we have to beat our minds, so to speak, sometimes. We have to force those thoughts out of our minds. And then we have to soften it up with some oil, which is God's Word and prayer. And we spend time trying to cultivate that, uh, th- those thoughts by focusing in on God's truth. But the best way to fix our minds on the things of God is to put it into practice, to uh, keep playing catch, to keep recognizing those things that are leading us in a downward spiral, to identify where's the falsehood in that, where's the unlovely, unloveliness in that, where's the, where's the, 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 the sin in that, and, to, and, then to, and then to kick that out and replace it with the truth of God, to catch the truth of God to catch the things in our minds, to fixate on the things that are praiseworthy and pure and lovely and admirable and noble and excellent and right. And we continue to do that until eventually our minds get formed and they become agile, where the things and the relationships that come into our minds we're able to now react in ways that are different because we become different persons. Our minds have been transformed by the power of God and, and, by, and by spiritual disciplines in which we're able to take the Word of God into our hearts and into our lives. Now, that's not easy. It takes time. We have to wrap a string around our minds, so to uh, speak, by continually forming ourselves to think on the thing of, things of God. But it can have so much power in our lives because it will, it will help us to become more God-centered, more focused on the things of God. Now, first of all, and we've touched on each one of these, but I'll give them in way of application again. Uh, we have to conform ourselves to the planter thoughts in the way we think about ourselves. When we think about ourselves, we think of those things in our lives that are praiseworthy and pure, and lovely, and admirable, and noble, and uh, true, and excellent, and right. But you might say, I don't have those things in my life. I'm a sinner. I've, I, uh, I, I have uh, turned away from God. There's nothing beautiful in me. And here is where we need to take the Word of God and plant in truth again. You see, the truth of God, uh, according to who we are, is it is Christ's imputed righteousness. It is Christ's righteousness given to us. And so we can recognize our own beauty, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done for us. So we begin to think of ourselves as nobility and as excellent, not to make ourselves proud, but to rather make ourselves humble and to recognize the gift that God has given us. So we think of ourselves in terms of planter. And then we think of ourselves in terms of planter again in relationship to others. And I find this to be so helpful because I'll admit it's easy for me to think of someone and to become overly critical. And what I need to do is I need to pause and I need to recognize the good in them because God loves them. 
Jesus died on the cross for them. God created them in his image. There is something admirable and excellent in them. To find that and to fix my mind on that. And then thirdly, to put all of these things, the planter thoughts, in relationship to God. How we think of God. Because ultimately, all eight of these things find their perfection in who God is. Only God truly is praiseworthy, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, true, and excellent and right. And so as A.W. Tozer said, the most important thought we have is what comes to our mind when we think about God. And that is true. We ought to think of him uh, often. To close this sermon, I'd like to quote from uh, that same book by Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. And uh, he says towards the end of the first chapter, which is where that first quote came from, he says, the heaviest obligation, I'm going to read this slow because it's too long to read twice, so hang with me here. This is good stuff. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian today is to purify and elevate his or her concept of God until it is more worthy of God. In all his or her prayers and labors, this should have first place. We do the greatest service to the next generations of of Christians by passing on to them, undimmed and undiminished, that noble concept of God, which we receive from our Hebrew and Christian fathers of generations past. This will prove of greater value to them than anything that art or science can devise. And to that I give a hearty amen. May those words take up residence in our minds and in this church that we may purify and elevate our concept of God. May we serve the next generation well by passing along to them an undimmed and undiminished noble concept of God. In our prayers, in our efforts, may we exalt God so that he has first place in our lives. So our application today, how will you set your mind on God this week? How will you use planter thoughts about yourself, about others, about your circumstances, and ultimately about God? Will you purify and elevate your thinking so that you are full of thoughts, upward thoughts, that are, that are praiseworthy, pure, lovely, admirable, noble, true, excellent, and right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just pause and say thank you because your word is all of these concepts. Like Your word is full of truth and is lovely, is admirable and noble excellent and praiseworthy. We thank you for the truth that you've given us today. And God, we know that we have such a tendency not to do these things. We get fixated on the negative things. We let ourselves get drugged down into the gutter of sin because our thoughts are not pure and right. And God, we pray that you would help us to eliminate those negative thoughts, those downward thoughts, to take captive every neutral thought, and to elevate the upward thoughts uh, throughout this week. So God, we pray for your help. We thank you that you are a good God and that you love us so much.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.